0: It's Sully from the Blue Line Hockey Club Podcast. Tonight's episode is brought to you by... KingTuckGraphics.com Are you looking for a better way to promote your business? Have you ever thought about a new sign, window film, clear coat, or even wrapping your vehicle? Think about it. All the time you spend in your car driving around Raleigh, North Carolina, a vehicle wrap can be working right alongside you. A clear branding strategy can make the difference between your next call or not. If you're in Raleigh, North Carolina, check them out at KingTuckGraphics.com Your satisfaction with their products and service is guaranteed. So go online to KingTuckGraphics.com and check them out. Get a free quote and get started with KingTuckGraphics.com.
1: Hello, welcome back to the Blue Line Hockey Club, folks. We have another exciting episode tonight, episode 78. We have all the usual suspects sitting in the house tonight. We have our producer, Should Patrick there, Uncle Hardy, Sullivan. Please. What's up, Patrick? Aloha. And our local nerd, our IT guy, Robbie Pete Peters. What's up, Pete? Hey, how uh, you yeah. And the all-around sports guru, the guy that we go to for all of our sports news, Derek D-Train, he too. What's up, D-Train? What's up, sweet And your host of the Blue Line Hockey Club tonight, Mark the Doctor Morley. Oh,
0: Doc. No.
1: We got a very special guest sitting with us tonight. We have Mark Morris. Mark Morris is Mr. 300... One of the only guys to ever have 300 wins at the NCAA level and also at the professional level. Uh, Mark was uh, in 1991 to Clarkson University, the Frozen Four, also 7th all-time wins in the AHL, had success at all levels. How are you doing tonight, Mark?
2: I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for coming on, Mark.
2: Appreciate it. I'm I'm thrilled to be on.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, you're up, Mark, I believe you're up in Messina right now, right?
2: I am. I'm on the St. Lawrence River. I, I uh, have a place on Wilson Hill and a couple of a uh, oh, couple of minutes uh, across from Upper Canada Village so um, right on the border.
1: Oh yeah I just uh, I actually just moved out of Messina. I still have a restaurant up there with my brother, uh, Morley's restaurant in Messina. I was over on uh, where they call it Mortgage Hill there. now I'm, on, I'm down in Florida. <laughs> uh, getting a little bit nicer weather. I'm sure the leaves are changing and starting to get cold up there.
2: Well, it is, and it's hard to find your ball in the middle of the fairway.
1: (laughs) Well, at least you're in the middle of the fairway. That says more than the rest of us. Yeah, right. (laughs) Even tougher in the rough.
3: (laughs) It's not mowing mowing. anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah it's, uh, I, I think they're trying to keep that course going up there in Messina actually I see a lot of stuff people in the community supporting that club so hopefully that works out for Messina Country Club. but um, it, it's a pleasure having you on, Mark. I know you've done a lot of things um, in your career as a coach and I just kind of wanted to get back to you know where you started at you know you were a player uh, outstanding player for a while as, as, um, and you know, your playing career. What took you into the coaching world?
2: You know, uh, I, I think back to um, a time when I was visiting Colgate University. Uh, I was attending uh, Northwood at the time, and uh, I visited the, the coach back then, and uh, Jim Higgins, and he lived on the golf course at Colgate. And I thought to myself, geez, that's a pretty good way to stay in the game. And, you know, uh, you get your summers off sometimes, and, back in the day he actually did but uh, that's not true any longer Um, and then uh, you know my my coach to be uh, was Terry Slater and um, when I was done playing uh, he had asked me if I was interested in coaching and he put me in touch with Charlie Morrison at Union and that's kind of where I cut my teeth was at Union College I was there for a year then I went to uh, St. Lawrence after that and then on to Clarkson and then um, Mr. Toad's wild ride started from there.
1: Yeah. Then you went on to the AHL, right?
2: Yeah. I was, uh, I was coaching at Northwood at the time and, uh, I recruited Ron Hextall's son. And, um, we had a couple of real good years up there and, uh, Brent Hextall became my captain. And at the time, um, Dave Taylor had been the, uh, he had been the general manager of the LA Kings and, um. Dean Lombardi took over for him, and Ron Hextall was talking to me, and he said, "Geez, I got this chance to go to LA. Should I do it?" And I had some conversations with him about uh, him uh, leaving as a scout from Philly and moving on to LA, and we developed a bit of a relationship. And at that point in time, uh, Jimmy Hughes, who was a coach in Manchester, um, was let go, and Ron said, uh, "I'd like you to apply for the job." and Uh, that's how I ended up in Manchester and then uh, from Manchester uh, I was there for eight seasons and enjoyed a lot of the Kings success we had a lot of real good players and I worked with uh, Scott Pellerin and uh, also Freddie Meyer a couple of great assistants and Hubie McDonough and the development team for the Kings and that led to my job in Florida and then uh, I was there for a year I wasn't all that crazy about being an assistant coach after being a head coach and um, I, uh, I talked to my buddy, uh, Rick Olchuk. And so I went back to the American hockey league and coached in Charlotte for a year until, uh, my job at St. Lawrence opened up. And, uh, anyway, it was, uh, you know, it was a long, um, uh, a long road, but, uh, it's, it's funny how things work out in life.
0: Hey, Mark, uh, you know, talking about uh, the Charlotte checkers. Um, I think the guys were, we were talking about it before you got on, um, you know, with the changing, you know, the changing coach that they had at the hurricanes and the new coach down there in Charlotte. Um, do you ever think that, you know, look back on that. Do you think you might be up there as the head coach of the, uh, um, hurricanes right now? Well,
2: in this business, timing is everything. And, uh, you know, uh, I got to know uh, Ron Francis and and Rick Olchuk and Mike Bellucci and their whole staff. And, you know, uh, it it was an opportunity for me to come home. And after a year in Charlotte, I, you know, uh, looking back, uh, perhaps something might have might have happened where I got an opportunity, but, uh, you know, kudos to uh, Rod Brindamore, he's an unbelievable person as is, you know, Ron Francis and Rick Olchuk. They're a real good group of guys. And, um, you know, I saw an opportunity to move home and, um, you know, the, who knows what would have unfolded from there, but, uh, they ran, they ran a good, uh, a good organization and they were really solid people. And, um, you know, Mike Vellucci went on to win, uh, the Calder cup, uh, a couple of years later, and and uh, you know now he's he's uh, he's working for the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and their American League uh, affiliate. And Ron has moved on to uh, become the new general manager of the Seattle franchise, and he brought Rick Olchuk with him. So um, you know it seems like the higher you get to the top of the pyramid, the the more interaction there is, or there a lot of connections. And it's nice to have those those contacts and those people that are in still in the game.
0: Uh, speaking of Ron, Francis, is there any chance that you might be moving to the West Coast? <laughs> yeah,
2: we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know what? Uh, they they uh, have got a, a new AHL affiliate there. Um, I seem to be uh, probably more inclined to be a guy that uh, is kind of like the mechanic working in the back rooms, uh, trying to develop guys. I'm not out on the showroom floor getting all those bonuses. Um, but you know, everybody has their strengths, uh, you know, and I don't know, I, I take a look at those guys on the NHL benches right now, and I don't know how many look like they're having any fun. There's a lot of <laughs> pressure there. <laughs> um, so, and, and, uh, it, you know, you can be a winner one day and the next you're gone. And, and that's just the nature of pro hockey. It's a business. And, um, you know, the, I remember Mark Crawford saying to me one time, he says, Hey, congratulations you're now officially a coach you've been fired and you know, it, it's just the nature of, uh, of, of sport today. It's uh, it's um, you know, it's a, it is a business and especially at the pro level.
0: Yeah. I mean, Barry Trotz won a Stanley cup with uh, Washington and.
2: Gets See ya. To it, right? Yeah. Well, what have you done for me lately? Right. I mean, uh, <laughs> he, he's a real quality guy. I actually um, got a chance to interview with him um, when I, had left, uh, the, uh, the, the Monarchs and, uh, you know, he, he was a real gentleman and I heard, I've heard nothing but great things about him as a person. And he has a special needs son and you just see how he reacts, uh, to people when he's around them. He just is, he's got some special human qualities and, um, you know, anybody that's ever played for him just loves him.
3: Yeah. Mark, listen, I've kind of always respected the way that you coach, coach the game. And I I think you kind of coach players hard. And uh, that's all the way that we we kind of grew up playing. All of us, you know, played, played uh, hockey at multiple levels and stuff and had success. But we were always coached hard by the guys that we um, were coached by. And uh, do you you see that, you know, the dynamic or the uh, landscape of the game kind of changing as far as how you have to coach these kids these days?
2: Well, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I think that anybody that's a parent, um, you get to see, uh, the way you were raised and then, you know, you see how kids are, are raised today. Uh, I think sure. deep down everybody, everybody, um, they do appreciate, um, and it's usually later after the fact that they appreciate that they've been pushed out of their comfort level. And, uh, yep. it's the only way to stretch, uh, a guy into his full potential is, is to, uh, you know, try to, try to nudge them in that direction and, and get them to dig a little deeper. And, you know, I think that, uh, it's, there's an art to it. Uh, certainly, um, society is, is a lot different with, uh, you know, computers and cell phones and such. And as when we were kids, if a coach told you to do something, you, you know, he basically said, whatever. And, you know, when you got home, your folks would say to you, you know, hey, you know, how did how to go today? And you might tell them that somebody barked at you and they'd say, well, do it right next time. And today it's it's a little bit Which more. It, yeah. 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 So it, it is different. But, you know, to be in the game for a long time, you got to learn to adjust. And it's um, it, it's getting to be more and more of a challenge now because uh you're trying to figure out each individual and. Um, one of the things that's a lot different in today's game is that kids sometimes have agents when they're 14 years old. So sure. they're not hearing one voice. They're hearing a lot of different voices and, you know, they have access to um, a lot of information. They, I remember being in the American League and, you know, the, somebody come up from the back of the bus and tell me that so-and-so's uh, just got, you know, just got called up or somebody's getting sent down and you know the brass hadn't even called me yet to tell me <laughs> yeah. and and the players knew ahead of time so there are some challenges to uh dealing with technology and trying to stay out in front of things and um you know it it has its its advantages but it also creates a lot of uh anxiety for players and and people in the game um uh, you know trying to impress something that's not even real you know uh impressions go a long way and you know I I take great pride in knowing that uh, you know a lot of the guys that have played uh, and been recruited uh, by me and my staff have turned out pretty successful so um, we'll take that to the bank.
1: So Mark uh, you know coaching at the college level for quite a while and then going into the the AHL and back to college um, do you see one or the other that you prefer more, um, going back to college? Did you kind of feel like you, you know, felt more like you belonged in the AHL or did you enjoy the college level going back? Well,
2: the two, uh, two differences are, well, the main difference I would have to say is, um, uh, you know, uh, you're playing to win uh, at the pro level and you realize that. And, um, you know, you, your day is filled with hockey all day long. Um, you know, you're either breaking down film or having meetings or um, traveling. And there's volumes and volumes of games. And uh, I think that the co- at the college level now, uh, coaches are pulled in so many different directions. Everything from fundraising to, you know, meetings um, and being on committees. And uh, all, all the best part of the day is practice. You know, when you when you get to the rink, um, yeah. you know, your, your mind is a million miles away. And then um, you get to the rink and you get your practices in and, you know, you're actually doing what you love to do. And that is to, uh, you know, to coach kids and try and mentor them and try to bring them along so that uh, they have a chance to be successful. And uh, I think that's the biggest difference is that. You know the on the pro side, it's business, and uh, you're the the good side about the college is you're developing the whole person. Um, you know, making sure guys are going to class, keeping them accountable, and then also um, getting them to realize that you know there is more to life than just hockey. So um, if there's comfort levels for for both sides, um, you know, looking back, I had an unbelievable experience in Manchester to uh, be in an organization that won two Stanley Cups and you know had all kinds of resources and all kinds of uh, people to confide in um, on a daily basis that you know had been to the heights of uh, of hockey at its highest levels and to have those people uh, and, and them being accessible was invaluable.
4: Mark, uh, a little nostalgia for me, uh, going back to Clarkson, uh, you guys, at least in my mind, were a powerhouse in the the 90s and, you know, right up until you left. Um, I'm curious, who who do you think was, you know, the best player you coached?
2: That's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) You know, make no mistake that good coaches make good, or good players make good coaches. Um, You know, and, and no one coach can do it by themselves. Um, you know, uh, recruiting is your lifeblood. And, uh, you know, early on I had George roll and Greg Dreschel. They did a lot of leg work. Uh, the three of us would go out and we would recruit and, uh, you know, match notes and things of that nature. Um, and then, you know, I had, uh, Jim Rock and Ron Ralston. I had Casey Jones. I had Ron Fogarty and Brad Dexter. Um, all those guys made major contributions to the program. And then, you know, when you looked at uh, uh, the commitment, uh, was there uh, right from um, the athletic director all the way through um, those guys? The, there was no mistaking that. Uh, you know, it was it was real serious business and. I remember one time Bill O'Flaherty's dad, he, uh, walked in my office. I'd never met the man before and Billy brought him in to introduce uh, me to his dad. And he said, get him going or you'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of the attitude, you know, you're, he was, uh, Bill was a hockey man and, um, uh, a lot of the trustees, uh, a lot of the people around the school, I think at the time, um, you know Jeff Brown was head of financial aid Bob Croop was uh head of admissions uh, Bill O'Flaherty was a former player coach and and then AD and you know a lot of the trustees uh were were pretty prominent business people that were highly successful and um you know that, I think that that kind of set the tone for uh the expectations and certainly uh you know uh, when you add in good players into that environment and they're hungry a lot of those guys went on and did great things with their hockey careers yeah i think clarkson
3: university owes a lot to you mark mark as far as uh laying a foundation for what they are now man i i, I truly think they owe a lot of that to you
2: well it's heartwarming to see casey bringing it back and getting it going um you know i i i got a chance to watch him practice a couple of weeks ago. He invited me to come up and, and check it out and has opened the doors to having me come in and, you know, uh, offer my two cents and things like that. And I just see how far, um, they've come. Uh, you know, I, I left there in 2002 and now I take a look at, uh, you know, <laughs> I remember climbing the ladders and wearing a hard hat when, when Chio was first built and, uh, <laughs> you know i was I was just thrilled to have it, and we were moving away from walker and that was a tremendous old building too but uh you know certainly um i mean it needed it needed uh major renovations and it wasn't gonna it just wasn't gonna cut it if uh Oh, there,
4: no.
2: <laughs> well, there was uh you should see some of the things that i found uh you know underneath the bleachers and <laughs> when i first got the job and <laughs> It was uh, it was pretty primitive, but certainly uh, <laughs> it was an environment that was conducive to intimidating the hell out of the opposition. Uh, sure. Those that mercury vapor lighting and okay. then the band and everybody being right on top of you it was electric. Yeah, Ken Dryden wrote about it in his book, and I think we finished eighteen oh one and one the last year there. And you know there was a time when Chiel was built and. Uh, I, re- I remember we were fumbling around and not getting it done the first part of the year. So I decided to walk the team down the hill and made them sit in the old locker room. I said, guys, this isn't about the bells and whistles. This is about effort. <laughs> and uh, they figured it out pretty quick. I remember Todd Marchant saying, coach, you got to get that ping pong table out of the locker room. The guys are more worried about, you know, their, their ping pong tournament than they are winning hockey games. And so... <laughs> We uh, we figured that we figured that out, uh, and I think it was an eye opener for our guys to realize that what it boils down to is, hey, do we want to be good or not? And uh, we got it turned around.
0: Yeah, speaking of uh, uh, Casey Jones, I think they're um, ranked second in ECAC poll and top five this year in uh, coaches' poll. Um, but with that said, with Todd Marchant, Mark, do you still? Uh, keep in touch with those guys like uh willie mitchell todd marchand uh, eric cole all those uh, big professionals that you coach you know
2: it's hard to stay in touch with those guys uh, i'll tell you about a funny thing that happened though i was uh coaching in charlotte and we went out and we, we were playing in san diego and uh their coach came and you know knocked on the door we were sitting in an equipment room they didn't have space for us in their practice rank and uh he came up and he said uh, there's a few guys here that want to come see you or say hello and the first guy in line was Todd Marshon. he was you know director of player development there for um, Anaheim and then in walks uh, uh, Joe Pascula who I had coached in Manchester uh, who was a player and also Tim Jackman uh, another player I had in Manchester and it was almost it was so bizarre, but if you're in the game long enough and you're long in the tooth, you're going (laughs) to have a lot of common ground. And, you know, the fact that those guys all came to see me, uh, it meant a lot, you know, and, uh, it's, it's, it's really heartwarming, um, to hear from those guys and you try to stay in touch, but it would eat up most of your day. And those guys are busy and they have families and jobs and such, but, yeah, I do. I, I mean, I stay in touch with Craig Conroy quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I talk to him on a regular basis, and once in a while with guys like Steve Dubinsky, and um, you know, I I just really appreciate that. Patrice Robitaille, he calls me all the time, and those guys are, you know, especially in the in the last little bit here, they've you know they've they've been calling and texting, asking how I'm doing, and wondering what I'm doing next, and I just keep telling them. <laughs> I'm not quite sure I gotta decide <laughs> on what I wanna do next
1: <laughs> so I, I guess you have polished the resume a little bit, and you're gonna be coaching again is what i'm what you're getting at
2: well, we'll see we'll see uh you know time will determine that I guess, and you know i um right now uh Chris Bernard had asked me to come and help him out at Potsdam State, so I've been milling around there the last few days and trying to help him to. Um, offer some advice when asked, and also trying to learn to bite my tongue because uh, after you've been a head coach, you, you're used to running the show and taking a back seat sometimes
4: <laughs> isn't
2: as easy as it might seem. Uh, but uh, I really, it, it makes you real proud to watch uh, your former players uh, that are still loving the game and uh, teaching some of the things that you pirated from other people along the way and putting it to good use. Okay. So, where, Mark, where do you want to be, man? Where do, you, where do you want to be here going forward? You think? You know what? Um, I, I mean, that's that's the biggest question that I have myself. Is uh, you know, where do I fit best? I, I know I bring value, um, and I, yeah, I, I just want to I want to be in a place where um, you know I feel good about going to work every day and being able to um, contribute, um, because in the end you know, uh, what you bring to other people, um, there's, it's what you can take to your grave. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that, especially as a coach, you're never going to get rich in this business, but you, um, when you hear from people years beyond, uh, having coached them, you can talk about some of the funny situations that, uh, you know, that unfolded, but at the same time, there's so many life lessons you can learn in this great game. And, you know, a lot of it is uh, how you impact, inspire, and influence people. Those those things uh, really resonate with me.
1: Yeah, Pat, why don't you, uh, we've been talking about this controversial concept that's come up out in California. Pat, why don't you ask Mark about that and see what his take is.
0: Well, Mark, we've just been talking recently. It's been all over, you know, sports, uh, news media. Uh, with you being in the pros and college level, Um, you know, I know it's kind of mucky water. There's a lot of gray area that we don't know, but the whole controversy is should college athletes get paid? And, um, you know, like I said, there's a lot of gray area, but, uh, what, what do you think about that, um, coming from the age, you know, professional hockey and college hockey?
2: Well, being a little bit old school, you know, I just, you know, I, I think that, when, when the agents, uh, it's a necessary evil that they get involved, uh, because it is big business, but I think that, you know, it really, it, it's going to be a, a real interesting, um, thing as it unfolds, if it does come to fruition, um, man, oh man, trying to keep guys in line, trying to keep hmm. them accountable and also trying to, uh, manage uh, a group of those guys, especially the high profile people. it's tough enough as it is, but i uh, i I would not want to be in that situation where you have uh, more hurdles to climb in trying to keep these guys uh all on the same page if your' head and your heart're in the same place, you know what you got a chance to be successful as a group and uh what was the thing i heard the other day you know uh, you know if you hunt alone one guy eats if you hunt together everybody eats and <laughs> you, you know I, I really believe that in team sport you know um teaching people how to play well and figuring out how to be a good teammate is such a key thing and the other thing is uh, that comes to mind is having strong leadership in the room that is essential is to have guys that are singing your tune and guys that can communicate with you on a regular basis making sure that everybody's informed and communication goes up down sideways and that you know you realize what you need to work on and then also uh what the players need or what they want and i think that uh it's tough to teach experience (laughs) i've seen a lot of Success. uh, uh, And and it usually happens in the locker room. That's when your leaders decide that they want to be good. You're going to be good. And, uh, you know, when they communicate well with you and you get the support you need to, uh, to make that happen and create the environment for winning to happen, it's going to happen. If you don't have it, man, oh man, it's, it's not fun.
0: Yeah, and it it's a touchy subject and it, you know, it's we're old school too. I mean, we're close to your age, what do you, Mark? We all wanted to get or paid something in college, like that. I don't think
4: it's um, reasonable.
0: But just changing up the gears here, Mark. Um I had a question. We, the guys on the podcast have been talking lately, um just you know, we're 5 games into the NHL season, uh watching Minnesota Wild pretty closely and other teams too. Um and, and the coaches are, you know, changing up the lines, almost putting the line in a blender, all the players in a blender almost every period and, um, you know, changing up those lines. Um, you know, me, I, I always thought as, you know, you need a, you know, a grinder in the corners pulling the puck out, um, you know, a goal scorer and a finesse player. Um, I think to me that builds a line, um, and it might be old school, but, you know your coaching experience. How how did you go about putting a line together? How how did you think about putting you know different combinations or the chemistry? You
2: know, as a as a new head coach, I remember sitting with Bill Flaherty one time, and Billy said to me, he says, "If you're going to have a good team, you got to have three solid lines." You know, and exactly what you said is, hey, it's nice to have a little brawn, and then some finesse, and then somebody that's a bit of a disher or playmaker. So, you know, you get a goal scorer, a playmaker, and and somebody that can move bodies around or go to the net hard or uh, somebody that's an intimidating presence. That's, that's pretty, (laughs) that's a pretty good chemistry to have. Um, I think most importantly is to find guys that think alike. And when I think back of the team we had in 91, um, man oh man we had some guys i could mix and match the top three lines in any combination any left wing could play with any one of the top three lines and uh you know same with the uh, the centers uh and and it was just a different type of chemistry and you know i remember telling george and greg jeez we just had one more guy on the fourth line we could really i don't think i've ever had that much uh collective talent on one team um you know where we had pretty good goaltending uh you know we had a real solid back end and some guys that knew how to defend but also knew to jump in the rush and we had two good power play units i think we were like some crazy number like i don't know 37% on the season it was it was high and uh that doesn't happen anymore because coaching is better and video uh is much better and i think that they break the game down uh, to where they know exactly what you're doing. But to your point, you know what? Chemistry is everything. And finding people that fit those boxes, I, uh, I'm i probably rambling on here, but uh, when I look at uh, sex, a successful organization like the Kings were, okay, uh, every year um, seemed like we'd be plodding along the American Hockey League, having a great season, and then at the tail end of the year they'd call up our best players, and they were usually big and physical. Dwight King and Jordan Nolan and guys like that, and then Tyler Toffoli and uh, Tanner Pearson and Slava Voynov and guys like that. And man, oh man, I I kept telling Dean Lombardi, I said, jeez, you know, you took all my trees and left me with shrubs, you know. <laughs> I gotta... That's
0: got to be tough. And,
2: and we're supposed to play a big, physical, heavy game, and and. Um, You know, doesn't take much to alter the chemistry of an organization when uh, after you've had success, and then all of a sudden uh, some of those fourth liners think that they're third liners and they're getting paid like it because they won something. And then you know, if everybody's slotted where they need to be slotted, you're going to have some success. But um, times change and people move on, and that's part of the pro game.
0: Would you mark? Would you change up a line in the you know from the start of the game to the second, third? Would you like just every period switch them up? You
2: talking about Boudreau? Or- yeah. <laughs> you know what though? Uh, it's amazing. Like you can you can have a line that's rolling along for a month and they're doing great things. And all of a sudden they hit a skid. I don't have any problem with saying you, you, and you. And all of a sudden, boy, they snap around in a hurry because they don't know if their number's coming up. And <laughs> I think it's important for coaches to have that weapon in their arsenal uh, to be able to, um, fair, you fair, know, right. hey, so-and-so, hold up. And, then, you know, all of a sudden you just see them turn and look at you like, oh, boy,
4: <laughs> right, here we right. go.
2: Once, I'm in the doghouse. Once, once yeah. every
4: few games is one thing. But, you know, he, he changes it up five, six times a
0: it would motivate me as as a player if my coach, you know, you know, hold up, this, you know, the other line's going out, you know, that would, I
3: would say, fuck. I can remember it. that as a player actually when the coach would be like, "Hey, wait a minute, no, you're not going out there. This guy's going out there." It would be like, "Wait, what the fuck are you talking about?" Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: It, it didn't happen often, but it sends a wrong yeah.
2: message. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, <laughs> when I had uh, Ronnie Ralston and Jimmy Rock as assistants and. You know, we had some real good talent, and they wouldn't share the puck. So uh, Jimmy had made a suggestion to me. He says, hey, leave Cole and Matt Reed, okay, off the power play. And I'll tell you what, they were just chomping at the bit. We scored more goals right after the power play when they hit the ice (laughs) because they were bullshit that they weren't on, you know, that they weren't on the power play. And the other teams, <laughs> you know, they they figured they had it killed. And then you open the gate and those guys came flying. I can't tell you how many times they scored goals right after we were on a power play because they were just ripping to get out there.
3: Yeah, I bet.
2: <laughs> More like but being a
3: psychologist when you're a coach. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, you know what? Like, hey, it's human nature to take a shortcut. But, um, you know, the guys that really end up making it are the guys that enjoy the push. You know, they they wanna they wanna be tested. They want they want to be uh, they want to be coached. Uh, it's the guys that take shortcuts and guys that want it to be easy that usually fall through the cracks.
4: So uh, I'm curious, Mark. I mean, we didn't, we didn't really touch on the, the Mister 300. You know, um, 300 NCAA wins and 300 professional wins. You're the the only get more than that. But uh, you're the only guy uh, to, to to hold that uh, flag. I'm curious on on your take. How special was that for you?
0: He's got a tattoo.
2: I think of that, right? Did Mark? you get
4: that on your forehead?
2: <laughs> I gotta tell you, it it was it was pretty embarrassing. I can't remember who we were playing, but um, it was like here's your life, and I'm you know it's on the big uh, videotron there in in Manchester. At the time it was Verizon Wireless and, you know, the other team sitting on the bench and then there's this five minute deal going on where all these people are congratulating. And it was actually kind of embarrassing because it kept (laughs) dragging on and dragging on. And, you know, I never really thought about it at all. But um, to the point I made earlier, if you're around long enough, you know, they pile (laughs) up and. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, Herb Brooks had to have done that or, you know, (laughs) like uh, Bob Johnson. Somebody has to have done that. But strangely enough, uh, you know, uh, good players (laughs) go back to that good players and working with uh, other good coaches and guys that really, um, you know, exponentially make your job that much easier just because they aren't good team players they're ones that um, go out and get those players and they're also guys that help coach those players with your vision and uh, you get a lot of credit when you win but you also get a lot of criticism when you lose it's it's it's, (laughs) most of the time it's it's not merited (laughs) either way hey
1: mark we uh we really appreciate you coming on the blue line hockey club tonight and taking time uh, to sh- share your story with us and talk about us about the coaching at different levels and, and all that other good stuff. And, you know, we know you're a busy guy. Well, you're not as busy as you used to, but, um, we really appreciate it.
2: Well, I appreciate you guys thinking of me and, uh, you know, hopefully this, uh, weather holds up so I can keep that handicap coming back to where <laughs> it used to be at one point in time. Yeah.
4: <laughs> About ready yeah. to put the
2: clubs away unless you go south. <laughs> oh well, you know I, I I'm thinking right now that uh, to utilize this time to go and pirate and, and share and mentor as many as I can and uh, you know it's uh it's it's a great game and uh, you know it's it's just be fun to be part of it.
0: Sounds like your passion's coaching, Mark. Get back in, get back behind the bench.
2: Hell yeah,
1: hell
2: yeah. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> we'll have Thank you again man. mark
0: appreciate it man
1: we'll have okay. you back on once you're out in seattle yeah <laughs>
2: you guys take care all <laughs> well, the ball. Ball. Care. yeah keep us posted okay okay all right. take, take, care. Care. take care
1: thanks all right guys coach mark morris um like he said <laughs> mr 300 yeah. <laughs> yeah great interview brought to you by brandonbills.com uh mark morris is you know just a legendary coach and in college and in the professional level um hey you know I joke a little bit about him coming back when he's in Seattle but that is you know his connections are out there in Seattle so we might see him coaching the so, AHL team out there being that organization he know. so
0: he didn't say no what a nice, uh, good humble guy though great coach uh seems That's like he knows the ins and outs of uh coaching um you know it's it's tough coaching you know we're all from canton new york we know what goes on at st lawrence we know it's uh, a a program that you don't typically expect if 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 st lawrence wins ecac that's like freaking mardi gras and canton new york we don't expect them to go to you know the ncaa tournament because of uh recruiting um the budget small there things like that but uh Just in general, uh, what he did for the Clarkson program, I think Rob touched on it, pretty much laid the foundation for Cheel. And uh, what he did, you know, Mr. 300 uh, for the Monarchs and then down here at the Charlotte Checkers. If he didn't leave Charlotte for St. Lawrence University, um, I'd almost bet the farm that he would be uh, the head coach uh, for the Hurricane, Carolina Hurricanes, um, for sure.
4: Possible. Certainly is possible. Uh, I, I hate to bring up the what ifs because you know he's had a remarkable career anyways, and you know just to plant that seed, it, it's kind of shitty. But uh, you know it's worth the it's worth the you know conversation, no doubt.
1: We'll see him behind the bench soon. Yeah, he he kind of got you know dealt a shitty hand at St. Lawrence when he went in there. Um, we talked about it before on the show, you know about players leaving after Carville left, and you know they weren't projected to be that good and it's tough you know when you're going back into a college program and like he said before uh if you don't have the players it's hard to win right so if you don't have a a decent team on your bench no matter what you do as a coach you can only motivate so much to get that team to win and that's kind of you know i don't think a guy like mark morris with his record and his win record is at st lawrence didn't win because he wasn't coaching the right way. I don't think that's the case at all.
3: I would yeah. agree, too, yeah. I don't I think he agree. had, I mean, frankly, I don't think he had enough time. I mean, he got hired in 2016, you know what I mean? Um, how it's do you a build?
4: soft culture there, too. I mean, it, is soft. Got... It, is,
3: it is a little bit of a soft culture, Rob. You're right. I mean, it's 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 a different, <clears throat> it's much different than a lot of the other college programs. First of all, you know, you can't recruit on the same level as a lot of the other programs. But, from my perspective, they just didn't give him enough time to to build a program. I mean, you can't build a program in two years. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then and and <laughs> expect it to be successful in two years. I mean, you barely you barely have a recruiting class, and you got to give a college coach four years. I mean, you got to give a guy four years to, to build, the, build the to program. It's tough to recruit after ten years, let alone two. Hell yeah! I mean, I mean, how do you how do you how do you recruit players after two years and not get them into a system? you know, it doesn't even make sense to me, but, um, I, I know one thing, Mark Morris is a hell of a coach. Um, I'm sure he's going to land on his feet no matter where he goes. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Mark, maybe you're right. Maybe he ends up in Seattle, but I think, I think at this point in his life, the way he made it sound anyways, was that maybe he wants to be like in the, uh, you know, kind of the back room where he's, uh, you know, I don't know, GM side, maybe or something like that, or, uh, you know, or a, a, uh, scouting side of things or a director of scouting or consultant who knows who knows what he wants to do but i think his his heart and soul is in coaching you can hear it in his voice when he talks so um, yeah he's got passion yeah the the
4: first thing that struck out to me is he just he seemed like a good guy yeah yeah you know he just he just seemed you know genuinely nice sure definitely
0: yeah I, i mean appreciate mark coming on i'm sure we'll get him on again and i'm sure he'll be uh coaching uh once we get him on again but uh i just wanted to say switching gears here nhl rob in the buffalo sabers what's going on now well
4: i don't want to say anything well uh, first of all carolina went back to first place so buffalo is sitting at number two um five and oh uh five oh and one um, so, you know, uh, it's still early. We're, we're six, seven games in here. Um, I'm holding my breath, but uh, I'll just say one name, and that's Ralph Krueger. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and
0: oh, he right? He looks Who like Cameron, first of all.
4: <laughs> Who the fuck's that? Right. So, I mean, the guy was a soccer coach. Uh, his last <laughs> job was a soccer coach, right? I mean, he has yeah. coached hockey before, but...
3: This is deja vu, man. This is like we're talking, we're like 2018 all over again. We're in the same
4: place.
0: Identical. I hope not. Uh, Yeah, and you know, for Buffalo's sake, hopefully not. But I mean, five and zero. Their power plays on top. Uh, Bogosian's
4: not even back in the lineup. I mean, they don't even have the Bruiser in there to help out. That that can only help things out. Yeah. They're they're playing well. um, that guy is uh, putting points on the board already, uh, uh, power play goals. He's he's just sticking them on that left, uh, uh, actually, the, the right side, left-handed shot. Um, he's just crushing goals right now. So uh, there's a lot of guys doing well. They're playing well. We'll see if they can keep it up. It's, it's a marathon. I mean, the people
1: in Buffalo are freaking out right now. Five wins, no losses. 5
4: one yeah.
3: Yeah, deja vu. Bill,
4: bills, are doing well. bills are doing
3: well. Jeez. You're just waiting for the collapse. Yeah. Really. As
1: soon as it starts yeah. snowing, everything's going to shit. Yeah. And, and,
4: right.
3: and the
0: goal differential is huge, too, for Buffalo. They're plus 12. Plus 12, yeah. I mean, yep. that's. I think they're leading the NHL um, with goals. And that Eichel's leading the team in points, uh, which, you know, he should be. But, I mean, just go down that roster. I mean, we've said it numerous times here on the podcast, on paper. Holy shit, boys, it's time to do something. And, um, you know, who knows? Freddy Krueger could be the key to this. I, mean, <laughs> I don't even know who he is. Oh, but, yeah. Ralph
4: Krueger. Yeah, I mean, mean, I mean, listen, the, the guy was known for being a, a, a solid coach, um, a player's coach but uh a no bullshit guy and you know from what i i've obviously been following from afar but you know from what i've seen he has gotten the guys on the same page and you know they're, they're showing it on the ice as of right now i mean uh risto Linen was you know right before preseason started i mean the guy was going somewhere else anywhere else and he talked you know Risto Linen off the ledge and brought him back in and he's playing again. And, um, you know, uh, that says a lot about the, he somehow got the, the kid wanting to leave Buffalo to come back and, um, you know, things seem to be okay for right now, but, um, you know, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Fuck.
3: I mean, who, how many coaches in ever NHL history but name named Ralph. <laughs>
1: Uh, we'll have know. to get the IT guy on that.
4: Yeah, where's that guy?
1: <laughs> How about the bees, Pat? How about those bees? Five and one. I mean, no surprise there. Um, obviously, if we had McAvoy on. We talked about the Bruins for quite a while that night. Um, yeah. They're falling right back into line where they were last year, playing well. Five wins, one loss. Uh, I, I think
0: that Atlantic division is, like, identical to what Derek was saying. Deja vu last year. Buffalo was on top. Buffalo, uh, Boston was right there. Toronto and Tampa. Um, you know, it's almost identical. I, ho- I hope everything stays the way it is. Carolina was on top last year. Um, we said it last podcast. Um, it just continues to be the same. Um, you know, the Centrals would what I keep an eye on, you know. I don't want to say say it again, which I said Colorado is going to win the Stanley Cup. They're uh, only undefeated team um,
4: in the Buffalo. league.
0: Actually, uh, Colorado lost tonight. Lost to Pittsburgh, three two. So they got a they got a loss tonight. So there's not a team in the league that's undefeated. Um, but man, Colorado's but that's not, that's good.
4: That's not true. First of all, Buffalo is undefeated right now. And, and i'm looking at the standings and colorado is one. before we started this interview with mark morris buffalo was at number two and they just got popped by colorado so colorado's win tonight
0: yeah um, so, and, and they're, uh, they're overtime loss. buffalo is playing anaheim so
4: well they we did lose what so yeah, what's yeah. going on with that maybe
1: yeah. it
0: was an overtime loss
4: it was overtime I just saw
0: that. Yep. Yep. Overtime. But, yeah, Devils, what's the news of the Devils? They got –
4: Fire sale. Holy (laughs) shit. I mean, six games in and you're fired as a head coach, that's demoralizing. I I don't know what's going on with an 0-6 start anyways. We could probably spend 40 minutes on this conversation, though boys, I can tell you that much. It's not good. That's not good.
3: Would you you guys say, Uh, though, that the NHL is like the NHL is like the quickest league to pull the trigger on firing head coaches, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah. It, I it's I mean I know the season's longer. It's in you put it in perspective with other sports. You know, it's it's as far as uh you know how many games are getting played. But I mean, they pull the trigger on firing head coaches in the NHL like it's fucking nothing. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of stupid in a way. I mean, six after six games, what the hell do you know? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
4: Yeah, it's not saying New Jersey is going to be at the bottom of the pile in no. December or January, but, you know, after all of the hype, all of those moves to start 0-6, oh, you know, something is not right.
3: But yeah, look, at, yeah. look at it on the other end of the spectrum, though. I mean, all of those moves, all of the, all of the shit that was done, I mean, they need time to fucking gel. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... How do you – I mean, yeah, I guess, it, I guess it all fall back on the coach, right? But the players go out and play the fucking game. So it's like why – I don't know. I, I can't understand firing a coach after six games. I saw that, and I was just like, um, what?
4: In, instead of firing the coach, maybe you tell P.K. Subban to put his fucking phone down, get off the interwebs, Facebook, Snapchat, and all that <laughs> there stuff. There you know. he's on Yeah, And sure. focus up on the game. Maybe he set Lindsay Vaughn to the side for a little bit.
0: In the defense yeah, of PK, fun. he's a hard worker. But just, you know, with us watching the – I mean, okay. he works out pretty hard. But just us watching wow. the Wild the it's last crazy. three yes. years, um, you know, pretty closely. Um, what else could you wow. do? I mean, what can you do as – I'm the GM of the Minnesota Wild. What can I do? You know, the, the easiest and most efficient – Thing I can do right off the bat is fire the, fire the guy.
4: Get rid of Bruce, but that's in that specific situation. I well, think I'm talking
0: personally. in general for all all teams. If you know what can you do? You can't in the you know six games into the season start trading players. No one's interested. They got their team. They're trying to gel. So you know what do you do? I don't know. That's just what I'm.
1: I, you know, I don't think it's um, a huge surprise seeing them fire all their coaching staff in jersey just because of how aggressive they've been to win um like derek said all of the uh trades and stuff that they made in the off season to put together a good team and they went after it they made they made deals they got guys on the team they were real aggressive in the off season with with uh trading people um so to see them be really aggressive on their coaching staff i just feel like that organization right now wants to win and they're going to do whatever it takes so if firing the coaches doesn't work, then, oh, well, what's the next step? Then we're going to go on to look at the players again. I That's one take that I – I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that I think that Ray Sherrill and the and the the, uh, the New Jersey staff is trying to be really aggressive and do whatever they can to win, and they're not going to accept.
4: They're minus 16. Minus 16. Right now. I mean, minus you're talking 16. about BK. He works out great, but his job is to help keep that buck out of the net and minus yeah. 16 he's
1: not doing his job he is distracted yeah so is some, is some of that not putting the right guys on the on the ice at the right time is that not having the right uh, man down strategies not putting the power play together you know it does some of that come with coaching i mean you, players are out there to play but the coach has to put the team out there and give them the best chance to win the game as well so i mean if, if the gm's looking at those stats that you're just talking about you know all those negative stats He's, is he saying to the coach, Well, what the fuck's going on? You know, you've got decent players. And what you know, we need to change something.
4: Well, but. Minnesota's in that exact same position. They're minus eleven right now, yeah. and they did. You know, it's the same story. We got a new GM. They made a bunch of off-season uh, changes and and brought in some guys that they thought were going to help. They're minus eleven right now. Oh, yeah. and Forever.
1: And, and uh, two nights ago, in the, the Ottawa game, they had six power plays, didn't score a goal. I think they might have even had yeah. seven power plays. Didn't they had,
0: have. A they goal. had a three on one without a shot. Three that on one with system. Zucker, Perize, and um, Stahl. Those yeah. three guys, top um, money makers on the team,
2: Couldn't went shot, three right on that.
0: one. And could, and I, you know, I was, I saw that and I was like, Jesus Christ, I think the, th- you know, three of the four of us guys went down three on one in that <laughs> NHL game. And it, yeah, you, you could laugh, but I don't you get a, shot right. and, gonna get a shot off. Look, I don't think it's a shot off. And we might even get a, a, a second shot from the rebound, rebound. But um, yeah, it's awful. But the New Jersey Devils, they, um, They brought in Tom Fitzgerald. He was the uh, assistant GM. Um, He's going to start helping with practices. Um, You know, he was an excellent player when he played in the NHL.
4: Big face-off guy, yeah.
0: Yeah, big face-off guy, 1,100 NHL games. Um, So he's on the ice. He's going to try to, you know, help out a little bit. But, yeah, Ray Sherrill and the boys in New Jersey are trying to do whatever they can do. Because there's well,
3: high expectations, right? It has to be a situation, don't you think, where they had to – I mean, either it's – you know, I don't want to say incompetence, but, like, you don't you don't get six games into the season and fire a coach and not – you know, it does, it does it speak to the fact that, like, you didn't see that coming in the preseason? You know what I mean? Like, you didn't see anything in the preseason where you didn't make that change earlier or you didn't see that in the offseason where, you know, the offseason program wasn't going the way you wanted it to go, you know. Or is, is it?
4: Outage, not or or was
3: it? Or was it the opposite? And they saw, you know, that it wasn't going good. Started out snail's pace, shitty, shitty going, and they just cut ties quick. So it could be, yeah. either, it could be either way, you know. So it's, it's it's tough to know what goes on behind the scenes of these uh, squads. Yeah. You know.
4: Yeah, I know.
1: We don't know what happened between the GM and the coach. I mean, maybe there's some controversy of, you know, who the GM thought should be playing certain spaces or, you know, how much time certain guys should be getting, stuff like that. And you know, We don't really know. There might have been some bickering between the organization and the coaches that we don't hear about in the news. You know, that kind of shit that led to, you know, getting rid of the staff. But, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, sitting here as a Monday morning quarterback, you know, it's it's easy to say, you know, why'd they fire him? It's only been six games, but we don't really know what's been going on um, leading up to this point at that organization. So, it's it's always, uh, you know, easy to look look from our perspective, but these sure. guys are getting paid to win. You know, the, I'm sure the owners are putting pressure on everybody uh, as far as, you know, why aren't we winning? And, you know, if, he, if, he, if the owner's making the call or the GM's making the call, Yeah, we really don't know.
4: Well, yeah, you're right. And and Mark Mark Morris just said this as well, you know, this has really turned into a business. You know, they're the money is starting to I think make the decisions, right? And um, you know, they're not playing anymore. Six games in and the heads are rolling already. Brucey has gotta be sweating a little bit, right?
1: He was sweating actually on the bench.
4: Yeah. he's not very far away from Uh, you know maybe getting a knock on his door
1: yeah and just to um, you know talk about what Bruce has been doing in Minnesota he's definitely been switching the lines up like we talk about every week Um, but he's also been mixing it up two games ago in Ottawa Ryan Donato was a healthy scratch Um, this past game in Toronto last night Fiala was a healthy scratch these you know two guys we probably wouldn't think would be a healthy scratch because they're not fourth liners Um, sitting them down for a game to let them think about what they're what they're doing out there and they brought up the uh, leading scorer of the AHL uh, Mayhew to play last night in Toronto he actually had his first NHL goal um, for the Minnesota Wild Uh, really Jordan Greenway's line has had um, a goal in the last two games and they haven't had any production besides Cunning out of their top lines out of their Parisi, Zucker, Stahl, Koivu um, these guys, Zuccarello has been out, but, you know, him sitting down Donato, sitting down Fiala, you know, you wouldn't think, you know, I, I watched the game. I was surprised to see those guys as a healthy scratch as you would think it would be, you know, uh, Eric's or, you know, a fourth liner Felino, one of these guys that's traditionally a fourth liner and they healthy scratch them in and out, but he's healthy scratching his second liners, third liner. So. And they're trying to do whatever they can do to motivate those players in, in Minnesota right now because they're not producing. Nobody's producing on that team. Um, as far as, you know, a couple, they had Hartman score, Cunning and uh, Mayhew score. I mean, people even know their names if they don't follow hockey. Yeah, right.
0: It's uh, it's pretty boring to watch. It's There's no offense. It's dump and chase. Um, hopefully they can turn something around. I, I don't know what they can do to turn it around I mean you know in Bruce's defense keep keep switching up the lines until you find something but man it's just
1: not only can only do that so often before these guys are going to get pissed off about it yeah. um the other part of it that I did see I you know because we did I did watch Ottawa in Toronto um Ottawa wasn't that bad I didn't think they were that bad of a team they did lose to Minnesota but um, they, they had a decent squad. It wasn't like they were, you know, bottom of the barrel NHL team. I thought they played okay. They had some, um, decent players. Brady Kachuk played pretty well. The goalie Anderson played well. Um, and then watching Toronto last night, I think the biggest thing that I got out of watching them was that it kept coming back to their defense. Same scenario as last year. And, um, their firepower up front is unbelievable. They have tons of firepower, but these guys don't like to play defense. They have a lot of forwards that aren't playing a lot of defense, right? So, you know, most of the, what I took from the Toronto game watching Toronto is that, you know, they're sure, they have a great team, but, you know, are they gonna be able to win playoff series without guys playing defense? And they don't have a great defensive staff either. They've made a couple of adjustments, but they're still really weak at the blue line. And they've got all these stars that don't really care to play great defense so right. i mean they were down four goals and the announcers like any other team i'd count minnesota out because but because they're playing toronto you know it's a crapshoot because their defense is subpar
0: yeah yeah and just in the nhl news yeah i agree with you totally mark on that um just nhl news uh the stanley cup was at the white house that was pretty cool the um uh, St. Louis Blues got to bring the cup to the White House and get their picture taken and all that stuff. That was pretty cool. I don't know if any of you guys checked that out. Um, the Heritage Classic is coming up. Um, the Tim Hortons uh, 2019 NHL Heritage Classic, which will be in um, Saskatchewan um, October 26 outside. Um, and uh, it's the Flames versus the uh, Winnipeg Jets. Um, Both goalies, uh, Hellenbach and uh, Ricci, um, they're having old school uh, uh, pads and uh, helmets on. So that's pretty cool. Um, Ovechkin actually got to uh, throw out the first pitch last night for the um, Washington Nationals. So um, just some topics that I was just kind of looking on my phone here of in the NHL, but, uh, the heritage classic is coming up. That'll be pretty cool outdoors here in, uh, on the 26th.
4: Yeah. uh, Capitals just beat Toronto tonight. They had, uh, Washington had three goals in 78 seconds. Wow. Kuznetsov, Backstrom and Carlson scored within a a minute and 18. Yeah.
0: I I, want to say who's the league leaders now in the, uh, NHL I want to say uh John Carlson has 14 points right now um goals is James Neal which was a big pickup for Edmonton Edmonton's on top now uh and they're
4: uh they're top
1: 10 yeah like five and one
0: yeah and they picked him up from uh, Calgary which was big he had four goals the other day um so he's got eight goals um and then Carlson again has 11 assists And then Dougie Hamilton of the Hurricanes here in Raleigh uh, has a plus eight. So uh, those are the league leaders early in the season. John Carlson uh, um, leading for the uh, Washington Capitals. 14 points, uh, 11 assists, and then James Neal. uh, But Derek uh, and Mark, you guys are Ranger fans a little bit. I think uh, there's a player on the team there that got – Four goals or something like that, right? Is the Yeah. Yeah. They're uh, doing pretty good. I'd like to watch the Rangers. I think, I think in two years, we're going to see a pretty good team. And I like to see the Rangers do well just because that's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, got his first
4: NHL goal. You guys yeah. They're,
3: they're a young group, man. Young group going to take a while. I mean, I mean, I know, uh, uh, You know, the goaltending there is, you know, I I feel like I kind of wish this sounds awful because, you know, everybody thinks that
1: uh, the king,
3: the king is uh, Lundqvist is, you know, just grandfathered into that position. But I'd like to see him kind of give more opportunity to some of the younger goaltending Georgiev. And uh, I mean, it's just I don't know. It's just something I feel like he's been great for so long. But like, what does he produce when it comes to the playoffs? I know he hasn't had the best squad in front of him all the time, but. Um I don't know. I like to, I like to see them give some opportunity to the younger goaltending in that uh on that team but it's that's just my personal opinion. I'm not sure uh
2: everybody yeah.
3: out there would agree with me but maybe Mark will as being a Rangers fan. I, I I've been frustrated with Lundqvist a little bit to be honest with you but I I, I was going to say something say about, about that too. Go ahead, yeah, I, was gonna, I was
1: just gonna say the same thing about the Rangers. I think their biggest question mark is goaltending, right? Even if it's not this year, I mean Lundquist doesn't have much life left, right? So if if they don't if they're banking on Lundquist to to be on this rebuild team that they're building, I mean, they gotta think about rebuilding like you're talking about the goaltending, because yeah. Lundquist isn't gonna be isn't gonna be the guy. All right. So if they're rebuilding, who is that goalie that's gonna be stepping in to rebuild with this team? And I'm with you 100. percent I love Jad I like watching him last year. I mean, I didn't really watch him a lot until last year. I started watching the, the games a lot more, and I think he is just a tremendous player. Um, I think he's by far their best player there in New York. Um, you know, I'm with you on the goaltending. I think that's their biggest question mark. Just to hey, touch on.
4: A whole, oh, he hit a milestone. Real quick right? while we're talking about goalies, though, right now Stalock is leading in goals against average in the same percentage. So, One game. Those just guys pepper. must be getting pounded. Yeah. It, it,
1: you know, his big thing, staylock is he's a, he's a guy that's coming out of the net all game. You know, he's trying to play the puck anywhere from the top of the circles back to the corners. I mean, if he's you watch, it, it's what they talk about, what he's known for. He, he's a guy that's always out playing the puck. He almost got in trouble with the game that he played. Playing a puck in the corner and fucked it up, but um, you know, that's his big thing. He's a pretty good goalie. He's really good with a puck. So we'll see what happens with with Dubs in there, but uh, he's had some phenomenal saves But like I said, they've been getting peppered like the second period of the Toronto game I don't think they had the puck out of the zone for more than ten minutes or five minutes of the game But I just wanted to touch on real quick we We're talking about James Neal and see what your your take is on it fellas if you remember James Neal was on that Vegas team. The first year Vegas was a, you know, a team and he did really well. Yeah. He did really well in the playoffs. He was like one of their top players, you know, for Vegas next year. He goes to Calgary next year. He goes to Edmonton, you know, and he's doing, you know, I think he's a good player. I mean, if you've watched him, he's a really good player. Why is this guy getting dealt every fucking year? You know what I mean? I don't understand it. Now he's a, You know, like has four goals in a game the other night, and he's playing well in Toronto. I just don't understand why teams – I don't understand why Vegas got rid of him. Um, First of all, he had an outstanding season, especially in the playoffs, and then he's up in Calgary the next year. So what's your take on that?
0: It's tough to say. I mean, I always try to put myself in a GM's shoes, right? So is is he inconsistent? I mean, he probably wants that big contract that nobody will give to him. Um, So he's kind of just getting traded, dealt here and there. You know, in a lot of teams these days, you know, just grab that player for a quick two years and then ship him, right? But that's a good question, I don't know. To me, like what you just rang off, Mark, he's producing. So you think somebody would lock him in for a good five years, you know? He doesn't have much time left, he's older.
1: Yeah, I just thought that was interesting because I remember him specifically being one of the studs in Vegas in the playoffs that year and the next year he's gone. And I couldn't believe the trade when I saw it then. And then, you know, last year he had a decent year in, in Calgary, but, you know, now he's doing great up in um, in Edmonton. So great for Edmonton, you know, maybe that's the piece of the puzzle they needed to uh, get him to the top of that division. So um, give a little help Speaking to David.
4: Was that part of the Lucci deal? Uh, Lucci yeah. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. It's a strange, you know, a fighter for uh, you know somebody who's a goal scorer at this point. That's a strange trade.
0: Yeah, I think there's more <laughs> both, to it than just straight up. Uh, but
4: yeah, from what I understand, they both needed to get them off of their, their sheets, the, the balance. Sheet. I think it was come, come down to money. But
1: yeah, well, Lucci got overpaid when he went to Tr- Edmonton because he didn't produce.
3: Neil's yeah. been in the league too for 10 years now, you know, 11 years, whatever it is. So, I mean, he's getting in, in today's you know. NHL, he's long in the tooth. Right. So that might explain like the one year contracts that he keeps getting, why he keeps getting shipped off, you know, but he has, I mean, he's averaged like, you know, everywhere he's been except Calgary. He's, got, he's a 20 he's goal scorer every year, you know? So yeah. um, I think he had his best, best season in Pittsburgh when he had uh, 40 goals. I mean, that's a lot of fucking goals in the NHL, but, yeah. uh, you know, but he's, you know, I it must be, you know, at this stage of his career, you know, he's a little bit long in the tooth. The NHL has gone younger players. Yeah. I think it's obvious when you look at the type of players that are in the league now and who's getting the money. You know, we've we've had a couple of guests on prior to this episode where, you know, they're talking about players now get paid more on not what have you done for me, but what could you do for me? You know, you, do? you know, so, um, you know, he might be just it, everything in hockey, as Mark Morris just said, is timing. And, you know, he, he might be hitting the stride of his career when the timing is for the younger guys. So, Yeah. Um, He's a
0: Patrick Marlowe, Yeah. He's, uh, Joe Thornton. Um, yeah. Those guys in the league. Um, I mean, those guys, I think Mark said a few podcasts ago uh, that, was a Patrick Marlowe that had was like averaging 30 points a season. Like, I mean, that's something like yeah. that. I mean, that's legit. Um, but,
1: you know, yeah, people, weren't picking them up. people weren't picking them up. It was, um, I mean, like if I was a team like Ottawa, I'd be picking up Patrick Marlowe saying, Hey, we got a veteran guy. He'd be a good voice in the locker room. You know, brings a lot of experience. Our oldest veterans are like 22 years old. You know, why wouldn't they be trying to go after a guy like that? for locker room, for, you know, knowledge to help these young kids develop. You know, that's where I see some of these older guys at the end of their career coming into these younger teams to help with that, even if they're not a 30-goal scorer anymore. But if they put up 15 goals and 25 assists or something, you know, what are they doing for the the stars that are, like, a, Kachuk was 20, you know, helping him develop. So, Robbie, were you going to talk a little, something about uh, goaltending before I cut you off? Uh, it, was, it was just
4: stay uh, it was just yeah. stay locked. that was it what do you gotcha. think about
3: uh you guys see that clip of petterson uh for vancouver elias petterson dangling around the friggin uh, detroit red wings team today at all do you see that i, I didn't, didn't no. my god that guys hands are nasty i mean he i mean he, he made is. professional hockey players look like he was playing against Minimites mites out in the ice like you know, like when they show like a clip of like a professional hockey player going like to like a peewee hockey practice and like just dangling, dangling around all the players. <laughs> I mean, look it up at some point. Petterson you know, going against Detroit. I think it was yesterday. And dude, the guy's on his knees. He gets like he saves the puck, brings it back, like puts it between his legs. He's just making people look stupid out there. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. I think you got banged up a little bit last year with that guy, man. He's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to watch that guy play. Yeah, I
1: think
4: I, I said. It. A, I just got an update on my phone. Buffalo just scored, and you know, I just I just brought up this kid's name, Olafson, right on the power play. Just got his sixth goal of the of the season this year.
0: Golofson, they're calling him these days. Golofson,
4: oh.
0: yeah, yeah, he's been. Speaking of Detroit, Manta, he's on fire too. He's yeah, not
1: Man, so. Man, Manta. Who, Golasin? Manta. Man,
0: Manta.
1: On the Pedersen thing, I think I mentioned it last year when we were talking about him. Um, Wayne Gretzky was quoted saying that he thinks that that kid reminds him of himself more than anybody else in the NHL today. So if Wayne Gretzky's comparing him to himself, he must see something in that kid. I mean, like he said, he's a smaller guy, kind of like Gretzky with the, you know, silky mitts. Uh, you know I, I think we, yeah yeah pencil neck <laughs> but we don't we don't talk about him too much so you know thanks for bringing him up Derek because I, I think he's a little bit underrated as far as you know out being out there in Vancouver we don't talk about the Canucks too much
3: yeah man look if you guys get a chance out there just take a look at that there's a little clip clip on Twitter I think where it's just it's kind of crazy the way he's it's a short clip but I mean he just making NHL players look foolish the way he's Pulling that puck around it's just kind of crazy. He
4: does have great hands. He's got great hands.
1: Yeah, Matthews scored again last night. He's continuing his goal streak. And uh, yeah, I think he's going to – I don't think Marlu had any points last night, but Matthews looked pretty good. Toronto just
0: looks good, period. I mean, man, they got firepower. They played uh, Minnesota the other day. And just watching Austin Matthews, man, he's just – on a whole nother level. It's just unbelievable.
4: You know, I, I feel like they're, they're almost the story of having too many guns. But like Mark said, there are some of those players that aren't interested in playing defense, you know, getting back and covering Yeah, their
1: ass. yeah. They get caught up in this goal scoring thing, and then yeah. they don't want to yeah. back check and shit like that. One thing they do have going for them is Anderson is pretty solid in that. He, he's, when I watched him last night, he had some great saves. He yeah. stopped the breakaway on Foligno. Uh, he made some pretty nice saves that, you know, made sure the game never even got close. But a couple of those went in. It would have been a lot different game. Definitely. So, I mean, there's uh, I think we covered pretty much most of what's going on in the NHL to, uh, this week, guys. It's still early, six, seven games in. Uh, we got a lot of NHL to talk about. We've got, uh, I think, Eddie the Eagle. Belfour coming on next week, which is a huge interview for the Blue Line Hockey Clubbers. So make sure, sure you make sure
4: you. Uh, a little excited about that one. Yeah, yeah don't just, forget
1: to tune it next week. we got a huge interview with Eddie in Belfour. Eddie, Eddie I'll be, I'll be. Belfour. Eagle Eye.
4: Eagle Eye. Drop down the Eagle
0: Yeah. I can't believe he called us to master us to
4: come on the show. That's great. Just asked us out of the blue. It's Well, there's
0: it's all but
1: still. still. <laughs> it's hard to get a hold of us, you know? So sometimes you <laughs> got to get through the email. Our numbers are private.
4: Our agents are like brick walls.
1: 315-225-5555. <laughs> all right, boys. It was another great episode. Mark Morris, uh, Mr. 300, sitting in with us tonight. What a pleasure to have him on the show. Um, Great to have him on. Hopefully, he does some big things in his next coaching job. Uh, we'll have to wait and see where that is. Uh, until next time, make sure you're checking us out on our BlueLineHockeyClub.com, all of your favorite podcast platforms, and also on social media. We're on all those, and we do have a, a YouTube channel where you can watch our our show on YouTube now and watch us live. So that's pretty cool. So if you want to get the video instead of just the audio, check us out on YouTube. Alright boys, another great episode. Until next time, keep your stick on the ice.
4: Hey. Oh Doctor. Keep
0: your head up.